and welcome to episode eight of the Namespace podcast. I'm Derek and I'm here with my co-host Jordan. And today we are going to be reacting to the Stack Overflow developer survey from 2020. Yep. Yeah, we get excited about this survey every year. And um, because the results just came out, we figured might as well share our thoughts on them while it's relevant. Um, right. But it's been a minute. So let's do a quick life update. What have you been up to oh, yeah. during lockdown and, you know, the yeah. end of the world? Yeah. Like we, we did release an episode um, last week, assuming we release this one this week. And um, we will. But we did record that one before quarantine and I just took forever to edit it. So this is our first time recording in a while. Um, and I got a cat. So I've been really busy um, making her feel loved, mostly. <laughs> you know. I don't those... know what that's like. I don't have cats. Yeah. Well, I, I, like, I, I keep just getting her new toys because she's like an attention hog. She just wants my attention. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, oh, play, play with yeah. this. It, it sounds like a pet. So I don't have Sounds them. like a pet. <laughs> so I don't have them. Yeah. And Derek's been over here getting famous um, online with his yeah. uh, developer articles, which are really great. I mean, we've posted about them on the namespace social media. So definitely check them out. Like really great content. I will. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I am. Dev two famous, I guess we can mm-hmm. call it. Uh but yeah, a, path- a Pythonic guide to solid design principles has uh, a little over 10,000 hits at this point, which is awesome. Uh, and then I just released a test-driven approach to Python packaging. So we're going to see how um, that goes. But I was very proud of that one because I finally sat down and understood Python packaging and what's happening when. Uh, so that, that was more just a, I needed to do this in a personal vendetta that I've finally finished. Yeah. yeah. But next up is going to be, uh, nobody likes a dry pastry. That's right. And that's a technical article. Yeah. Not about cooking. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited for that one. That'll be good. I mean, I, I quote like, don't repeat yourself dry a lot in code reviews and stuff. So I think it'll be good to have kind of a deeper dive into what that really means and why it doesn't matter. I mean, it, like, see, no, this is my vendetta against dry. <laughs> this is why I explained people have been too dogmatic about dry. Well, I like we can get to that because it's like, don't be too dogmatic. But if you're not being too dogmatic about it, it's fine. Then, it, yeah, it's, it's like, don't be too of anything because it's, right. it's two of that. Just, thing. just <laughs> wait till we get to. Oh, God, the analogy that goes with this article. I'm so excited. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, definitely check out those articles. But yeah, let's get to the survey. Um, so, so the first, uh, the first interesting stat we wanted to talk about is the coding as a hobby stat, because as developers who try to spend a lot of our time outside of work yeah. uh, learning, uh, we were happy to see seventy-eight point three percent of developers also spend their time outside of work learning. And well, maybe not. Yeah. As, if you're coding as a hobby, you're learning stuff as you're coding. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's yeah. why you should do it. <laughs> That's the whole point. Uh, th- this one kind of jumped out to me. Uh, it, it was either the first or the second um, developer conference I went to. The, the company I was working with basically sent all of their developers to it. And they asked uh, everybody that went to kind of give a bullet point of what they learned or picked up from the conference. Mm-hmm. And 
the one I shared that I didn't realize was going to be such a gem was uh, having a hobby makes you a better developer. And mm -hmm. I, I saw that because of all of the people who were doing their uh, talks based on just some hobby they had. Like one guy was uh, writing frameworks and software and open sourcing them for a home brewing machine that he had. Uh, one guy had a uh, computer vision open source project that would look at your cell phone and it would actually play mini games for uh, mobile games and stuff like that. And yeah. so it just really uh, stood out to me. It's like having those hobbies and coding for those hobbies makes you a much better developer. And then to see this in the survey was, uh, you know, really interesting, really exciting because we want to see people be better developers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I like that. I like that one a lot. Yeah, and then I guess the other side of the coin is like it it is diff it is difficult to code outside of work. I mean, we've all got our own lives. We got a lot of stuff going on. Um and you know, if you want to be the best developer, but you also want to be the best rock climber and you also want to be the best DJ and you also want to be the best podcaster. <laughs> it gets, it gets challenging, but, um, yeah, it would be really good to just have a little bit of discipline and work some coding as a hobby into your schedule, even if it's just a little, a little bit, but, um, yeah. I guess something, the other interesting stat coding as a hobby related was um, that Stack Overflow released the coding as a hobby by gender. So um, if we are just looking at the U.S. not weighted, 77.9% of people are coding as a hobby. But if we weight that by gender, then it's 76.5% um, are coding as a hobby. And the reason they have to do that is because it's like, I don't remember what the stat is, but like 13 percent or OK, that might be really low, but like under 50 percent of the people who took the survey are women. So they that's why they do right. the weighted thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but yeah. So like we talked about in the fixing the gender wage gap episode, because like the female of the household stereotypically is doing more household chores and has mm -hmm. more things to take care of outside of work, like after work and relation to kids yeah, or the, the child rearing the home taking kind of tasks. Yeah. So we thought like that kind of falls into that same category from something we've already talked about. So we figured we'd bring that up. Cool. And then years since learning to code is another interesting stat here. Um, uh, this one for me. Yeah, uh, go ahead. So you I, can look at Yeah. So I have aspirations and I got to cheat off of Jordan's laptop and look at the notes because she takes notes and I don't. Well, um, I take them for both of us. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> so anyhow, th this one's really interesting to me. Um, as we mentioned, I'm doing a lot of the tech technical articles. I'm launching a YouTube channel. Uh, I have a coding academy that I'm going to be doing a trial run of. Yeah, Derek's been so busy. <laughs> I, I can't stand sitting around. Yeah. Nobody can stand sitting around. Ha, Whoa, see what I did there? Puns. That was okay. good. Um, but for me, this is really interesting because uh, it was almost 50% of developers have less than 10 years of experience since learning to code. And, and that's not even factoring out who's just doing it for a hobby and who's doing it professionally. Mm -hmm. um, but then when you 
go into the professional developers, you still have about 40% of developers that have under 10 years of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of right in that niche of the kind of people I want to mentor and be teaching. Uh, it's not, I'm going to teach you how to program. It's I'm going to teach you how to master the craft of programming. That's mm-hmm. really the interest I have. And that's what kind of what we want to do here too. Yeah. Uh, th- this is, okay. I'm going to tell another story. I, f- I apologize. When I was, no, don't, 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 when, when don't I was apologize. a young, young <laughs> student, uh, getting a business degree at the time, uh, I had a math tutor that would, nitpick about my integral symbols he says they look like s's not integral symbols and i was like dude like what why do you care and he said because you're so good at the math now you need to work on the style and that was a really impactful statement to me because like you can code and you can be really good at coding but then you can start on the style and you can take it to that next level and uh pay attention to just that much more detail Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of been like a driving thing behind all of the teaching that I'm trying to do is I'm not, I'm not trying to teach you the basics. I'm trying to teach you how to do the basics better or the advanced stuff. Yeah. And so that for me, that was just like, Oh, this is building the case that what I wanted to do is actually necessary. Yeah. I, I mean, and I think like, um, besides it being like a high in demand sort of thing. I think it's also a low in supply sort of thing. Like, cause there's so many coding boot camps for people who are learning to code. So many courses online for people. Sorry, I have to. <laughs> oh, unprofessional Jordan. <laughs> I should have just let it buzz in my No, pocket. you should have answered it and been like, Hey, this is the namespace podcast. <laughs> You're on live. That would have been epic. Okay. It, I'm sorry. The I'm audio sorry. quality anyway um so so yeah it's like there's so many um coding boot camps for people who are learning to code so many um like online courses to teach a specific programming language or a specific framework Mm -hmm. and all of that's good and you can find articles about solid or about test driven development or about some of the more like advanced theory stuff that you might want to get into. But I think like a whole course just to take you to that next level is something that, I mean, I haven't searched for personally like online. I I mean, I just find like little articles when I want to, but um, it's, it's not something I've seen before. Yeah. So right now, um, and she's where you're going to have me give away my whole business plan. Uh, so, so right now you have uh, boot camps and formal education, college degrees that uh, you take because you don't know what to take. You're like, well, I, I want to get into this and that's a great way to do it because that's the only way I know how. Uh, and, they, and they just teach you to do stuff. Uh, and they, they lack that. They lack teaching the finesse or they go mm-hmm. at such a breakneck pace that you don't actually pick up anything You're like, well, OK, uh, I wrote an API that has middleware and authentication and rate limiting and it has an offline worker to resize images and it's using MongoDB and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, OK, but you did that in eight weeks. Like, did, did you really pick up Mongo and the language and putting it in Docker and yeah. RabbitMQ? And so uh this, I think, is going to bridge the gap of f- boot camps and formal education that teach you just the basics, but not why. And then the people that continue on from that and seek to 
master the craft. Uh, instead, I want to take the mastering of the craft and bake it into the initial learning process. Mm. And then you can uh, expedite and do these courses cheaper. We're going to stop talking about this because I'm revealing far too much. <laughs> well, it, it does tie into a lot of the stats that we're going to hit later on, too. Right. So it's it'll be good to have some context there for why we find these things really interesting. Um, but yeah, years coding professionally. I mean, we're hitting yeah. the same sort of points here. And so th this one specifically, everybody that knows me knows I'm a huge fan of Uncle Bob or uh, Robert Martin. And in a couple of his talks, he gives this lovely history lesson of how the number of developers has evolved. And we're basically in this exponential increase where every, I think it's every three, or no, it's, it's every year we're doubling. Or every three years we double, which leaves us at 50% of our developers have less than five years of experience at any given time. I can't remember the exact number he gives out, but this one absolutely confirmed it because 65% have less than 10 years of experience. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, that exponential curve may be slowing down, but it's still very much a problem for the immediate future. Just curious, why, why is it a problem? Do you think that the job market is not growing as quickly? Uh so back to that whole taking the mastering of the craft and baking into the initial learning process. Mm -hmm. The initial learning process teaches you to write code. It doesn't teach you to write clean code. It doesn't teach you to write maintainable oh. code. And so you have these young developers that go out and they can do really well on these academic interviews at awesome corporations and they get the jobs there. But then you are woefully inequipped to actually make significant contributions yeah. and you are contributing to technical debt. I see and what, what you really want to do is uh, train up people who, when they enter into the workforce are paying down technical debt and adding to it at a lesser level. And so yeah. I've worked on a bunch of different teams at this point, And every single time I walk into the, just this cluster of technical debt and it's like, well, how did this happen? And what happened? Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that's, that's why it's a problem is that yeah. there's not enough people that want to do the teaching and not enough mentoring that's going on to, uh, fix this issue of technical debt. And then you have the people that are going to say, well, what's wrong with it? Look at all the cool and awesome things we've built. Like SpaceX just launched two people and to, or, uh, stumbling over my own words, but you know, they just launched two people to the International Space Station. Uh, they have technical debt, but we can still do these awesome things. Why is it such a big deal? And the point there is, imagine how much more we could have done. Yeah. And I think um, to that point, just a random tidbit um, to help with that, I think implementing very detailed code reviews is, is so helpful to kind of yeah. teach people uh, with a very specific context in mind. I think that if, uh, if companies weren't rushing so fast, then the senior devs on the team could be more patient as long as the junior devs are willing to listen and like comment all over those code reviews and teach them. Um, but anyway, there, there's also, like you said, a lack of people willing to teach. So it's not just a lack of time. Sometimes it's a lack of willingness to be patient with that person. W willingness and ability. 
Mm. So I, I work with two phenomenal developers uh, that can just go in and crush any problem and then just like, okay, here we go. We fixed it. Yeah. It's like, okay, hold on. What, like, how did you know to do that? And then it's just like, they throw out those blurb of words. I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> like, I don't understand that technology that well. I don't understand the infrastructure. How did you just walk through and be like, oh yeah, it's this VPC ID that's wrong. And it, they want to teach, but they are not good at teaching. And so it's not just the willingness, it's the yeah. ability to teach as well. And it's not meant for everybody. Like if you are not a teacher, don't think that you need to change your entire way of working to be a teacher. But if you are a teacher and you are not teaching, try it out. Yeah. And even if you don't consider yourself a teacher, you can always build that skill. And we've talked about it. We will have an episode on recommendations for teaching coding at some point. So stay yes. tuned. Join my academy. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Go on. Yeah. We'll, we'll make an official announcement sometime about that. Anyway, uh, so the the next topic, which we have so much more to go through, but <laughs> okay. okay, educational attainment. This one is super interesting. Um, so the all respondents versus professional developers looks pretty much the same. Professional developers have slightly more education attainment, which is expected. It's just a little bit of a difference. Um but if we're looking at all respondents, um, 46% have a bachelor's degree, uh, 23% have a master's degree. And then um, after that, we've got like, I mean, those are the two biggest chunks. We do have 12% of people that are having like some college or university, which in the all respondent section is like a lot of people that are probably just still in school, right? Um, probably. But you do see both in the professional developers um, and all respondents, there are a pretty good chunk of people out there. I said pretty good. I mean, what does this look like to you? Like 15% of people in the professional? Yeah, I would give it about 12%. So like 12% of people don't have degrees, um, which is which is interesting. Um, I mean, that that to me sounds about right. I mean, that, that seems... Like what I would have expected. Um, but then the. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about that? No, no, no. The, um, again, market share for for me. Yeah. People are and in good numbers are pursuing formal training for programming. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there is a big market there that I want to buy it out of. Yeah. And. Uh, there, there's a few different educational attainment related stats that we're going to go through that kind of build on each other in a cool way. So um, anyway, the next educational attainment stat uh, we're going to look at is uh, majors. So 62% uh, have computer science, computer engineering or software engineering majors. Uh, no surprise there. And then... The next few in a row would be other engineering disciplines, um, information systems, information technology. Uh, next one is a natural science, which is like me. Yeah. So 4% of people who took the survey have a natural science degree. I'm part of that. So that's pretty, pretty sweet. And one of those in the natural sciences is physics. And, yeah. And uh, that was... 
actually well advertised in the physics department of my university is one of the things that most physics uh, grads do is go into software development. Yeah. I actually started as a physics major. Do you know that? No, it's new. You should have stuck with it. Physics is awesome. It's cool. Um, I felt like I was doing the same Oh, I, I, looking at the coursework, it seems like I was doing a lot of similar things over and over. I don't know. I ended up doing biochemistry because I had already taken a bunch of physics courses my first year. And I was like, well, now I can take some bio, biology and chemistry. I don't know. I was just you, like, you wanted something easier. I get it. Um, maybe a little bit. I'm good at math, but anyway, I'm a computer science nerd now. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, yeah, after that... Um, like now we're getting to like the three percents and stuff and, and below, but um, after that's math, and then lower down the line we've got business disciplines, social sciences, fine arts, health sciences. Um, all of that makes sense, especially health sciences being all the way at the bottom. Like if you're if you go all the way through medical school and then you decide you don't want to do that, um, that's that's a lot of time. Right? Where, where were lawyers actually? Was lawyers on there at all? Um. You know, I don't see it okay. listed suspe- su- specifically. <laughs> it's okay. I get it. If, Words are hard. Do you think it would be a business discipline? They might have just chunked but, them in there. Maybe, but okay. So Stack Overflow, if you're listening next year, I would love for a breakdown on lawyers because we have all of these issues that crop up every year about privacy and technology and how social media companies are like, are they platforms? Are they publishers? Who knows? Uh Lawyers transitioning into technical space or technical space transitioning into lawyers would be a very interesting stat because clearly there's some sort of uh, discrepancy there. And so knowing yeah. that specific number, I would be interested in knowing it. Um, and clearly yeah. Stack Overflow just makes their survey for my own personal interest because they yeah. did a great job <laughs> this year. So keep it up. Yeah. Um. Yeah, cool. So I do like that one. I mean, again, it's a little bit expected, um, but it's fun for me because I'm part of that group that's more of a minority here, like not having the computer science degree. I do have a yeah, minor. Because women who code isn't a minority already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I guess it is, but still, it's a fun stat. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so um, this one is where it gets really interesting. I would say um, formal education importance. So um, basically what happens here, uh, I guess let's just talk about the all respondents first because it's a little bit more generic, but um, 10% of all respondents think it's critically important. Um, 24.5% think it's very important. But that, that's that's pretty low. After that, like 26% of people think it's fairly important. 23% say it's, somewhat. It's a pretty standard distribution if you look at it. Yeah. And then 16% think it's not at all important. The, the real interesting part to it was with, when you flip over to professional developers, all of the numbers on like critically very important or fairly important drop. And so yeah. it's like once you get into the workforce, all of a sudden you stop start discounting what your education was worth. Exactly. And again, stat perfect for me because you're, you're taught how to do things, but not why to do things. Mm -hmm. And so then you feel very inequipped to to 
perform those duties in the workforce. And I've been known to say it is that knowing what I know now, I wouldn't go back and get my four year degree. But the whole point is I wouldn't have known what I know now without that. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, I've been talking uh, to some people lately about whether or not actually just one person messaged me if he should go back to school for CS because he's interested in it. And what I was kind of my response there was like, um, if you do go back to school, you every single class you take, you have a professor who's knowledgeable, TAs who are knowledgeable, a group of people learning the same thing as you at the same time. So just having that community is really good. Um, whenever you're trying to figure things out, because if you're doing it alone, if you're, if you're like learning CS on your own, you better have a really great mentor, somebody who's like willing to spend time helping you work through things and debug things. Yeah. When you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. You don't even know what to Google sometimes whenever you're, I mean, the the first time you have to post a form from a website to an API and you don't know to ask about multi-part form data, you're just like, oh, how do I group multiple fields in this request? And it's like, you're just barking up the wrong tree. And, yeah. And you just don't know that you're not doing it right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. The reason I would say that school does have value. It's like technically you can learn all those things on your own. It does provide you a curriculum as well. Um, like if you're learning things on your own, it might be difficult. Well, what should I learn um, having a curriculum is good. That being said, there, there, it's like, there is a lot of value that's missing there. And, um, I think one of, one of the things that's missing might be feedback. Actually, it's like teachers for my CS classes. It seems like a lot of the time you're being graded on whether or not your program executes and gives the right output, but nobody actually reads your code and gives you feedback on whether or not you could have done it in a different way that made more sense or if something you did was confusing. And that's like the thing that would code reviews are helpful for that. And I understand why schools don't. I understand it too. It's not scalable. It's not. And, uh, but it is something that I have an idea for with the the Code of Picari okay. Academy. Okay. <laughs> so it's something Derek's I want to try ideas. to fix. I do. I have lots of ideas. Um, I do think like if you are a person who's in school for computer science, though, I do think that you have the right to go to your professor or TA and be like, hey, can you look at this code with me and tell me what you would change? I mean, if they're not doing that by default for every student, I don't. I think that you can still be that student that goes the extra mile to ask that question. And I think that um, that's, that's something that would be very helpful. Yeah, go for it. Anyway, yeah, it is. Right, let, let's move on, though. Yeah, it's an interesting section, but we shall move on. Okay, and then... Um, uh, again, a gender-related section, which ties back to our first assumption that... Um, actually, no, this doesn't tie back to the, that one. I think this is a new thing anyway. Well, no, no. <laughs> it, so we got into uh, the topic of when you do the uh, weighted by gender, the years of coding professionally drops. Um and so th- this stat kind of ties into that. That's what this is. Well, yeah, but we kind of alluded to it in the first one. Oh, okay, okay. And so, okay. W- yeah, in this, um, 
it's a more significant drop. Um, and I don't remember what the actual stat is that you pulled here, but so basically, basically our evaluation was uh, it probably means there's more women in the learning to code section our space right now going through their education. Yeah. Yeah. So that's basically, it's like if you're looking at all respondents for this survey, there's a little bit more women than if you look at professional developers. So yeah, more, more women entering the workforce right now, which is cool. Yeah. Or will be in a few years. (laughs) Yeah. If they're in school now. Uh, Yeah. As, as the goal. And then, um, the experience and gender shows the same thing. Um, there are less there. There. OK, there are more, there are more women, women that have less experience. Exactly. <clears throat> so the big one there is the like five to nine years category. Twenty nine point two percent of men had five to nine years. Um, Thirty five. Yeah, five percent of women had five to nine years, um, and that is the surprising one. So there's like a bubble of women in tech. Yeah, actually, <laughs> and then the less than five years as well is a big difference. Fifteen um, percent of men are less than five years. Twenty-five um, percent of women are less than five years, and we're talking about twenty-five percent of women who who responded to the survey. Um, right, and so th- there you go. There's. There, there's more women entering the workforce right now than, um, than, like that, than women that have been in the workforce. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's cool. Um, all right, sweet. Well, that's like the section. The, that's the developer profile yes. section. Um, the demographics, basically. Those were just our key points that we wanted to pick out, mostly for me, and making the business case for. Starting my own coding school because mm-hmm. there's not enough of those already. <laughs> this is going to be different. It's going to be completely new. It's, oh, it's pretty radically different. <laughs> okay, so now yeah. we're going to hit the technology section, which is super the fun, fun stuff. Yes. Um, so first, we're going to talk about most popular web frameworks, which in Stack Overflow terms just means mo- like most used. Most used. Yeah. So, um, but for, okay. So for me, uh, cause I started as a C sharp developer, uh, .NET core is above the leading Java framework spring. Mm-hmm. Super excited to see that. Yeah. That's, that's and exciting. .NET core being relatively new compared to spring. It's, <clears throat> it, it's rising up there. It's almost caught up with classic ASP.NET. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so there's that. And then if you're interested in what the top one is, it's jQuery, which makes sense just cause there's like so many jQuery stuff out there. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, the asp.net, uh, being several levels higher than spring, uh, kind of goes to show some Microsoft innovation, some Microsoft love happening. Oh yeah. I want to talk about that. Yeah. Several times. <laughs> so let's look at other frameworks, libraries, and tools where um, .NET and .NET Core are right up there underneath right Node.js. Yeah. So um and then the the top uh Gaming one, Unity 3D. That's that's Microsoft. Yep. 
Um, Xamarin. Xamarin, they bought that. So that's, I'm not going to credit them for that. I do though. I mean, I, I think that th- this is a good point though, because, um, there, there are, there are definitely areas where Microsoft and Oracle are directly competing in like databases, uh, web frameworks, um, I don't know what other stuff. Those are the two I'm thinking of. Cloud. They both have a cloud, cloud platform. Yeah, they both have databases. They both have their own programming language. Yeah. Yeah. The programming language um, and the cloud. I mean, Azure is super popular. And I had to ask yeah. Derek, I was like, does Oracle have their own cloud? They do. Yeah. I actually um, interviewed with Oracle to work on their cloud. Okay. Yeah. They didn't select me for the position. And even if they had, I wasn't going to take it. Yeah. It's good I'll to put interview. put it that way. It's good. No, it's good to interview. But but um, you can see like Microsoft has Unity 3D and Xamarin. Like I do think that Microsoft is... They're in more spaces. Is, yeah. Is kind of spreading out a little bit to some more interesting sectors, um, which you know, makes them more popular because now they have a wider variety of people that are using their products. Yeah. And they're just focusing on user experience. Yes. You know? I mean, that's and, and open source kind of embracing open source. Um, no, they bought open source. They bought GitHub. <laughs> they bought open source <laughs> is what they did. Okay. So uh, not just embracing, they bought GitHub. I actually didn't know about that. <laughs> what? You didn't know about that? Oh. I don't pay that much attention. It's okay. To th- <laughs> okay, I, I don't I shouldn't say that on the podcast. I don't want to reduce my credibility. I research I research for the things that we're gonna talk about. Yes. Um I try not to talk about the things that I don't pay attention to. <laughs> yeah, and I'm pretty sure NPM was bought by GitHub. And so I think that's wrapped up under Whoa. Microsoft, which means a whole lot of the Node.js space is wrapped up in Microsoft which makes sense because Visual Studio Code is an Electron app, which is Node.js. So, uh, you know, Man, basically you we can say those, map in your we can say those top three. Uh, it's interesting <laughs> to me uh, how those things go. I, I think the history of how it evolves is important and yeah. tells us a lot. Yeah. Uh, but let's, let's get to my favorite stat. Okay. Most, so now we're going to hit most loved, dreaded, and wanted languages. Yes. Um, so I will just let Derek take over for his most favorite stat yeah. because it would be rude of me not to. Oh, so sweet of you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, so uh, <laughs> somebody actually mentioned to you, like, what's my issue with PHP? It's yeah. Like, I don't actually have an issue with PHP. It's just easy to write crap code in PHP. But this one here, um, and I, th- I think in a technical debt episode I, I went into how i think java is a dying language in the next 10 years yeah and also in the programming languages to learn episode did i okay <laughs> i love to hate on java yeah uh but for the first time uh c sharp has jumped over java uh c sharp has been in the top 10 most loved languages and it's still there but 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 java has dropped out of the top 10 most loved and it's on the top 10 most dreaded as the ninth most dreaded programming language <gasps> confirming my belief that Java is a dying language. Yeah. And I think that's <laughs> going to tie into what we were just talking about where Microsoft is in a lot more spaces, uh, but they're also doing some more innovative things. Uh, and if you're going to look at Microsoft versus Oracle, which are the companies, Microsoft, of course, uh, responsible for C sharp and Oracle 
uh, responsible for Java, you see a different level of uh, investment into the language, you know, with .NET Core and Azure and uh, mm-hmm. anyhow. Uh, I think because of that, and C Sharp I see is the primary competitor to Java. Uh, Java is just quickly sliding down the hill. And we're going to get to uh, the point where we're talking about how much languages are paid for. And there's another point there I'm going to make. But, you know, mm, yeah. just, just to keep you listening uh, through all of this. Yeah. And um, just so you guys know, the in the Stack Overflow, something that Derek noticed, I didn't notice this, most dreaded is just the inverse of most loved. Yeah. Which... Um, I don't know if it's that same thing every year, but this year, yeah. if you just flip the list around, you get the most dreaded. Yeah, so you can kind of see uh, how those stats relate. Yep. But. Uh, so another interesting one there is that TypeScript actually jumped over Python for most loved languages, or was yeah. it most wanted? Most loved. Most loved, okay. Uh, so it's kind of weird. Like, I've spoken to a lot of developers that use TypeScript, and they love it, and I'd never have... But once again, TypeScript is a language that is backed by Microsoft. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. you just see Microsoft like rising to the top and all of these things. And uh, it's something that I expected for, for many years. I've been a fan of what Satya Nadella was doing there. And I, I am absolutely loving seeing Microsoft rise to the top again when everybody called me a Windows fanboy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do like developing on a Mac, though, I've decided. It's okay. Yeah. So do I. Um, And I guess the other thing about TypeScript and Python that's kind of interesting is... um, So both both have been very loved, and TypeScript just beat Python, which TypeScript is like, you know, the strongly typed version of another very popular language. So so you have... yeah. JavaScript and a bunch of its variants, uh, including TypeScript, they are all implementations of the ECMA script or Exma script mm-hmm. specification. Just like Python uh, is technically C Python, that is a C implementation of the uh, Python spec. But you also have Iron Python, which is a C sharp implementation. Uh, I haven't and heard then, of that one. Yeah, so you have a couple of others, and then there's a. Uh, PyPy, which is another more popular one. I can't remember what that's written in. But anyhow, uh, you you have these specs and then you have very similar languages that are implementations of that spec. Mm-hmm. And so that's the difference with TypeScript and JavaScript. Is yeah. there different impl- implementations of the same spec? But it seems like maybe, um, maybe there's some preference. I mean, there in terms of TypeScript versus JavaScript, there's definitely a preference for TypeScript if you're just looking at the most loved. And then Python, which is weakly typed, is... I don't want to say it's okay. losing popularity. I mean, it dropped like... Yeah, like half point, percent like, maybe. <laughs> okay, so yeah. we also have to talk about this. Because um, I've been calling Python a weakly typed language. And I actually did it in one of my technical articles and somebody dropped in, Python's a strongly typed language and... Uh, gave me a link to some documentation. I like, I looked at it and I was like, okay, hold on. I got to rethink this whole weekly strongly typed. 
I guess. Uh, so the, the definition of weak and strong type that we're using there is a strongly typed language is when a variable uh, becomes a type, that variable doesn't change its type. The value can change type. And so in TypeScript, once it's an int, it's an int. And the other the it. other big difference is like the static versus dynamic typing, I guess. But that's a whole other thing. Yeah. It, strong and weak versus static and dynamic is oh. they're not absolutely tied together because yeah. C sharp and Java both have ways of doing dynamic typing. Oh, I didn't I didn't know that. I thought that they were just uh, static anyway. So it, but to that point, th there seems to be this preference with uh, not doing the kind of type juggling stuff that made PHP, JavaScript and Python kind of popular at, at times. And it made it easier to get started with them because you didn't have to worry about it. Uh, but then you realize if you just ignore it, you can get yourself into really bad places. Mm -hmm. And that's the issue that I have with PHP. Yeah. Is people like, oh, this is great. Oh, you can just ignore it. And it's like, well, you can't. Not if you're going to build something sustainable. You can't. Yeah. I mean, that's it's like with Python, if if there's a module or like a class that's getting made, that's going to be used a lot. If it's important, it's like I I really prefer type hints. It's I, I just think that it's a better um, a way, a better way to document your code so that other developers know how to use it and everything. So it's like I don't know. I I wonder if kind of the dynamic and weak typing trends might be uh, kind of falling off. We'll see. I think we're going to have to you know, look at some over the years stats to see some of these trends. But one one interesting over the years one is going to be to see if over the years um, less and less developers have degrees just because of the stuff we were talking about earlier. But yeah, could be. Yeah. Very cool. So let's let's talk about frameworks. Um, most loved, dreaded and wanted frameworks. Actually, we're just going to talk about most loved Um because it's <laughs> .NET Core. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Derek, huge Microsoft fanboy. We've got .NET Core. No, no, no. You can't call it being a fanboy. Why? Because there are legitimate reasons why it is popular, and I have just recognized those reasons. That's not mm. being a fanboy. Being a fanboy is, oh my gosh, they released a new Windows phone. I know I just bought one last week, but I have to have the new one. Okay, That's okay, being okay. a fanboy, and I am not one of those. Well, that's you can make that distinction. That's fine. I won't call you a fanboy. Good. <laughs> I still kind of think. E okay, never mind. You're not a fanboy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. Um. So yeah. .NET Core. Seventy percent of people love it. Yeah. Who've used Who've yeah. used it? So I, one one thing we do have to talk about for the most dreaded web framework though was uh, Angular was the most dreaded. Yeah, um, at the top. Most but started. it was also the third most popular yeah. web framework, which, of, of course, in that context was most used. Uh, but then React.js, which was the second most used, is the second most popular. It It's just under .NET Core. Um, so I think we're going to see React.js really starting to eclipse Angular. Yeah, and right under React, though is Vue.js. I mean, both of those are very, very closely, like, yeah. very loved frameworks. Um, and I've used React. I have not used Vue. 
but um, I have my the team I'm on right now does have a view app, and it looks like we're going to be making some updates to it soon. So maybe I'll be able to um, kind of do some comparisons there. But apparently, both of them are really loved. So fill me in. I've never used View. Yeah, I will if I actually touch it. <laughs> That's fair. We will see. Um, okay, so then... Oh, okay, so I'm sorry. This is my favorite stat now. The okay, most, you keep changing. The most loved <laughs> database. Well, okay, so no, the other ridiculous. ones were very lovely because they were, you know, confirming what I've been saying for years. Yeah. This one, though, I love because the most loved database is not a database. It's Redis. Redis yeah. is a caching service it's a key value store it's not a database yeah it, <laughs> don't use it as a database i mean like we we're talking about it it's like yeah i guess if stack overflow wants a redis related stat this kind of makes sense as a as a place but then it ends up as most loved and now it's weird because it's not even a no, database it's okay um <laughs> I just thought it was fun. Yeah. But Redis is our Lord and Savior. And so it's no it's surprise true. that Redis is at the very top. Yeah, it's no surprise. Um, and, and for everybody that doesn't get the joke about Redis being our Lord and Savior. And nobody will unless you are on our development right. team. <laughs> so uh, when I was working with Jordan, I was given a task. Uh, and really the only requirements were things need to drop offline. Uh and it's very important that the online offline status is kept within a five minute interval and to use Redis. So I looked <laughs> into it and I was like, okay, listen, Redis is really difficult with this. Let's not do Redis. I'm like, here, here's a DynamoDB implementation, a MongoDB implementation, a Postgres implementation, and a Redis. Let's use any one of these besides Redis. And then they're like, well, how about, how about let's rework the Redis one? And I was like, okay, we reworked Redis again. And I actually, I rewrote this Redis implementation like two or three times before mm -hmm. they're like, okay, let's do DynamoDB. That makes way more sense. It's like, thank you. Yeah. Uh, but the the way I coped in daily standups was to refer to our Lord and Savior Redis. Yeah. Uh, and that's not to knock Redis at all. I still love it. It's a, It's very easy to work with, but it was, it's not a database. Yeah. And it was not doing what we needed to do yeah i definitely um like on my team right now we might be making an implementation for using redis as like a queuing sort of thing and it's like i feel super wary <laughs> well we've talked about it a lot and i think it's a good idea for cool. what we're trying to use it for but just because of how redis is our lord and savior it has to work yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it'll work. Redis is very versatile, but you yeah, but gotta just be, not for gotta be okay with data loss. Yeah, that's gotta be that's comfortable the... with data loss and rebuilding it from scratch. Yeah, um, I mean, I think there are settings that you can change. Nope. To... That's why we didn't use it. <laughs> I don't even need to hear the sentence. Just no. <laughs> okay, because I was like looking into it because I was curious and I thought it seemed like there might be some settings that you could change, but then it doesn't. But then but then it's just not even you're not getting the performance imp improvements anymore from caching. And it's like, anyway, Redis is our Lord and Savior. Um, do not. I hope Don't nobody gets it. offended by that. <laughs> uh, they're not. They're not. They, they they should know. Anyway, so um, 
Another interesting database related stat, MongoDB is the top of most wanted. So just most develop, I guess the database that most developers want to learn. And oh, um, I, I interpreted that as like job descriptions have the requirement of this. And so I, I saw that as companies want people that know MongoDB. Yeah, we can we can fact check that. I the thing is that was my initial implement or my initial assumption as well. But I read something that I think changed my mind. So okay, let me well, check. Honestly, it. it's important. Now that I've said it out loud, it makes more sense what you're saying because post here, like here, just yeah. your standard SQL databases are gonna be more in demand just because it's been around longer but okay yeah it, you actually pulled up the survey so tell us yeah so wanted means um percentage of developers who are not developing with the language or technology but have expressed interest in developing with it okay then yeah so, you're right yeah i mean i had okay i guess stack overflow if you're listening <laughs> i do think that would be a cool stat because um stack overflow has a job site and you know they're doing yeah. this survey i don't know i guess the survey could be um actually because it's a survey might as well um collect data from employers uh, like people who are interviewing people who are looking for developers on um what they're looking for I think that could be pretty cool. And it could be like, what technologies are you looking for? Maybe, but maybe also like what soft skills or like other. I think that would be pretty interesting to know what the um, hiring yeah. people are looking for who take the survey. I don't know. I guess mostly developers are taking it. But you can see you, you can see there's like engineering managers and stuff taking the survey. If you look at the um, developer right, We're going to get to it when we get to the work section. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> we had to skip some stuff because we are we are providing a lot of commentary here. That's so that's fair. I mean, it's there's a lot to provide commentary on. Yeah, there's there's a lot of info. Okay, so okay, this but one's the, the next one we got to talk about this because I hinted at it is the top paying technologies, yeah. uh, which for uh, like worldwide, not not specific to the U.S. Perl is the highest paid language, which I found funny because. Uh, Again, Uncle Bob in one of his talks says that we're all eventually going to give up and become Perl programmers because it's the <laughs> language that won't die. I've never I've written Perl once, uh, and it was like okay, it, it was a fun task, but yeah. Other than that, I know nothing. Uh, but the other really interesting part to this was in the U.S., Scala is the highest paid language. Yeah, uh, clocking in at one hundred fifty thousand dollars, which you know buy yourself a Ferrari at that point. Yeah, that's good. But Scala is on the JVM, which is what made Java so popular. And it is the uh, kind of functional paradigm version of Java. Uh, and so because Scala is going to be attracting all of these people that know the JVM up to these high paying jobs, they're just going to cast Java away and Scala is capable of doing uh, object oriented as well as functional. But again, I think that's just another nail in the coffin for Java. Yeah. And so, yeah, Scala is um, highest paid in the U S at 150 K it's actually tied for Perl globally. So Scala is also highest paid globally, you know, oh, okay. Tie tie with Perl. I missed that. Yeah. This yeah. is why you take notes. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, but the other interesting thing, I mean, just think about that. Highest paid globally is is 76k. Highest paid in the US is 150k. That is just a huge difference. I mean, I knew I knew that devs in the US got paid a lot. I did not know there was that big of a difference. And it, it wasn't broken down by like where these languages yeah, were being it used. Wasn't. But if you look, $76,000 in somewhere like Nigeria, which I know had a huge population of people that responded, it's still pretty good. Yeah, Because it's mean, all corrected for U.S. dollars. So 76000 in some of these countries where people were answering from is still really good. Yeah, there's you, you like gotta, a very high price of living in like Silicon Valley and a lot of the places in the U.S. where devs are living. Um, but still, it is. I mean, that's the highest paid. <laughs> I don't know. It's um, we can go into yeah. some of these other languages, though, like uh, Go is the second highest paid globally, um, which <gasps> is. And then the next one is Objective C, which we thought was a little bit interesting because Swift is much lower. Um, but it's the new language from Apple for all iOS development. Yeah, so I, I guess, I've never done iOS development, so maybe you can tell me can you still write Objective C or Yeah, you can still you can still make Objective C apps and I honestly don't know what the benefit would be to to make an Objective C app versus a, a Swift app. Well, we're not mobile developers. So. Yeah, I just made an app um Whatever, does it. I'm going to ask Rob. Rob's got to come on the, the yeah, show because well, well, he is a mobile developer. Yeah, we should bring him on. We've got a lot of people that we want to join us. We should actually start. Yeah, we should. I agree. Well, if they're comfortable, they're still. No, I don't care. We're just going to show up at their doors. Yeah. Where were you on the night of today? <laughs> um, so, yeah, Python. Python is actually pretty low here um, comparatively. Uh, oh, yeah. It's still one hundred and twenty thousand. It's still one hundred and twenty thousand average. And this is the U.S. stat. This, this is, is the U.S. stat. It's just further down the list than um, many other languages, I guess. Uh, it's kind of it's in the TypeScript JavaScript range anyway. Um. Yeah, I'll I'll settle for one twenty k. There you go. See, <laughs> problem solved. Solving the gender wage gap right there. You program this language. Here's your salary. No, that that would be terrible. Yeah, that, that would, would not be, work. Oh no, we'd have such crap code. I would be very upset. Uh, okay, so moving on to the work section though. Yeah. Because let's let's be honest. That's, that's why we do this. Final section. Okay, so um, they did have a little stat on overtime. Um. It happens. It happens. People work overtime. It's it wasn't that bad. Like maybe maybe people are working mostly forty to forty five hours. That's what it was. So yeah. they didn't even give you an option for forty exactly. So you don't even know if people are working overtime or if they're just working forty. But anyway, um, it it didn't look as bad as I thought. Actually, I thought that in the U.S. there would be um, more overtime than there was. It wasn't bad. Yeah, um, I interpreted that as mandatory overtime. Uh, I, um, I think we all put in more time than that just on our own. I, I certainly that, do. That was not how I interpreted it. Um, yeah, it's like if I'm just trying to figure something out, something's really bothering me. I it's hard what? to got to figure that out sometimes. But anyway, so onboarding. This is an interesting one. This was interesting um, for me. Interesting for me too, Derek. Oh, that's right. You've had, you've had you've run the gamut from onboarding. Okay, yeah. so selfishly for me, the 
uh, onboarding. Uh, The question was basically, how good is the onboarding? Uh, Over half the developers said, yes, it was good onboarding. But uh, the other half was, no, onboarding was not good, which I took as onboarding was present, but it did not help in getting you uh, prepared to to work on this team or that project. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, which was the comedy answer was onboarding while onboarding, which is there is no onboarding whatsoever. They sit you down and there you go. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for me and, you know, coding Academy, all that good stuff. No. And onboarding while onboarding is uh, one of those things that I think you, you bake into the teaching process of doing good documentation and tests and, yeah, uh, stuff like that that will help with onboarding. So once again, just building the business case. It's a good point. But Jordan has had all three onboarding experiences. And yeah. so maybe you can talk about those for a minute. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, I've been onboarded to three teams and each experience was like within a year different. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Within a year. Yeah, I was. Well, it's because I was I was consulting. So that's why I was moving around so much. I'm not a consultant anymore. Now I now I have a well, it's contract. A con- it's a contract. I'm hoping which is why we're going to go into the consulting, contracting and full time podcast. Yeah, we, episode we're gonna next time. About that's that. our next podcast. It is sneak peek. Um, but yeah, so the onboarding. um yeah, I can I can give a little bit of insight into my experience for each of these, which is fun. So like the the onboarding that was helpful for me, um, that was when I was joining Derek's team. And it was pretty cool because um, basically it was like a day of Derek showing me and the another the other new person. Here's how our stuff is laid out. Here's some diagrams. Um, this is what we're building. This is why we're building it. Here's what it looks like. This is the problem we're solving. Um, and this is why the snakes are there. This is why the snakes are there. So it was just kind of like a, a like a personal introduction. It wasn't like um, here's a video to watch. Watch this for the next six weeks, <laughs> which I'll get to that. I'll get to that. But um, but yeah, I think that was. A good introduction. It's like gives you the chance to ask questions, but you're not overwhelmed because it's just an intro. And then after that, um, I'm trying to remember what happened next. The next one was terrible. Well, no. it was like three months of onboarding. Well, I meant I meant more like what happened next on your team because oh, after so that, the, the way we uh, measure it. And this is how the, the VP of engineering measured it is, oh, wow, they were able to get pull requests in their first and second days on the team. And oh, like, is that when we started that quickly? Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. So we just started. Michael had his in the first tickets. day. You had yours in the second day because we ran into some environment problem. Oh, and yeah. I didn't the know what was going end. on. But yeah, first and second day. And that's not we've gone through onboarding and now it's my first or second day. That is, I sat down in a chair at this office and on my first day I checked in code. Yeah, that and that is a good onboarding process. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the thing is, it's like get get a ticket and then just ask the questions that you need to ask to figure out how to get it done until eventually you filled in your own gaps. Like you have to have somewhere to start. You have to have like the introduction, the broad idea of what's going on. But then um after that, I do think that it's better to fill in the gaps yourself by just asking questions because it's like if somebody just tries to explain the whole thing to you, that's not all relevant for your first ticket. 
<laughs> you, you, so, yeah, you got to put up the, the guide walls. Yeah. So people know where they're operating and then they can explore the space. Yeah. And then my um, second onboarding experience was um, so crazy to me. It was like literally six weeks of watching videos. Um, there was a little bit of a coding situation, but it was weird because the instructions were pretty vague. It was basically like use this in-house framework to do a hello world type thing. But the framework didn't have documentation. So it's and you like, weren't actually writing production code. And we weren't actually writing production code. So, yeah, it was a little bit. It was like, well, if I'm writing code, why don't why don't you just make me write the real deal? That, that was kind of what I was thinking. But any and then the videos are crazy. But here here's the thing. And I think that this is really interesting. I don't know if you know about this, Derek, but what I was told, I'm making all this as generic as possible. <laughs> right. Liability reasons. What I was told was that this company basically did their own coding boot camp right when they were getting started as like a startup and then hired everybody from the coding boot camp that did well. And the foundation for their entire system is written by people who had just graduated from a coding boot camp. <laughs> and that's coding boot camps are good, but you also need senior devs. <laughs> and it just the system lacked system experience no the system lacks system is what it lacks <laughs> anyway so that's why the onboarding process was six weeks because it wasn't it wasn't um an intuitive designed system it was like we have to explain this to you because nobody else has done it like this because nobody else wanted to do it this way because they knew what they were doing yeah people failed to read code and it, you, you anyway. should not be allowed to write code unless you can read code yeah that's a topic for another day mm-hmm but yeah, and then the onboarding, what onboarding? Um, I've also joined a team that uh, there wasn't really much onboarding, but the thing is everybody was really busy, so it was kind of hard to like figure out what I'm supposed to do. And for me, it worked fine because like I said, I'm kind of that type of person who um, I prefer to fill in gaps with my own questions and... Uh, and I, I bother people to get that base understanding. Like I message somebody, hey, do you have half an hour today to explain this project to me? And I think that if you're in that onboarding, what onboarding scenario, if you are a junior developer and it's your first job, you're going to be like, somebody help me. I don't know. But if but if it's your if it's like your second job or third job, it's like you can um you, you know what you need to know. Like, ask ask them, explain this project. Where are the repos? How do I... What are the rules for checking in code? And, like, you, you can kind of figure it out yourself. But um, sometimes it's, like, a couple weeks in and then you're, like... Uh, somebody's, like, oh, you haven't set this up yet? And it's, like... I didn't know I was supposed to. I, I don't to. know, but it's, it's not a big deal. I think, I think that the no answer is way worse than onboarding what onboarding, honestly. I think bad onboarding is worse than no onboarding at all. Yeah, I think so. Because bad onboarding is leading you down a wrong path. Yeah. Or it's confusing you. And Yeah, yeah, exactly. So anyway... Um, that's fair. That's that's that. I've been talking. Let's go on. <laughs> okay. DevOps, which is fun, uh, fun topic. So um, 
they, they were split pretty evenly, um, like 43% uh, either way. Yes, there's a presence of, or there's a dedicated DevOps team. Mm-hmm. Or no, there's not a dedicated DevOps team. <laughs> 12% said not sure, which is interesting, but. Yeah. Uh, for me, again, it's an interesting topic because I work as a full stack developer. Um, so DevOps, it kind of falls on my responsibility, but we also have a dedicated DevOps team. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of like me too right now. It's like we have shared Terraform stuff that we work with and we have um, cloud people who are managing that code, but we, we also do have to check in code there. Yeah. Um, I found it interesting because one DevOps is the highest paid uh, field mm-hmm. inside of programming. Uh, but that it's, it's, you basically have a place in DevOps, whether you're going to be dedicated to DevOps or I just need to know DevOps. So it's a, it's a great place to, if you're looking to augment your skills and to get to that next pay raise or that next level, like invest in learning some of the DevOps technologies. Yeah, Um, definitely. And that's really what I took out of that one. Yeah. And then the other kind of the other like, uh, DevOps, tidbit that I thought was interesting. While only 40% of people have a strong presence of a DevOps team, um, only 20% of people think it's neutral or not important. Like 80% of people think it's very important, critically important or important, yet there is a lack of uh, people who are dedicated to that skill. Um, and yeah, I mean, the fact that it's expensive it, yeah. to have DevOps people is likely kind of plays into that. Yeah. All right, sweet. So most important job factors we talked about on fixing the gender wage gap um, already it looks pretty much pretty the much same. Pretty much the same, except they removed salary. Yeah. One of the options, which I thought was really weird. Yeah, we thought that was weird because we were like looking for it. Um, so previously in other years, I guess we were looking specifically at 2018 when we did fixing the gender wage gap. But um, men had compensation as their highest, most important job factor. Um, and now they do not offer that as a selection. Yeah. Which it's like that seems a little bit. I'm curious why they took that out, because that seems like a very valid job factor. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was to uh, point out that, like, if you could take salary out of it, um, imagine everybody was paid the same rate, whatever. What would be the next important things? And that's something that companies looking to do hiring can use. I guess that's is, that's true. It's just a different stat yeah. now. At some point, money runs out, but building good cultures, uh, you know, can go on and on and on. Yeah. You, you can always build a better culture. So that's why I interpreted they took it out. Uh, I know for me, like when I'm looking at a job, I don't care how good the culture is. If you're paying me some amount of money that I can't live on. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to take that job. Yeah, exactly. So, like it's, it's a part of it. <laughs> it's a, we we work to make money, essentially. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Okay. All right. So we're getting to the community section, um, final section. And, and there was, well, the final section that we covered. 
I think it may have oh, no, been it was the final question. section of the survey, but we only took one stat out of it. Uh, two stats. Two stats? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there only only two of the stats we took out of it. So it's But once again, this I think was for me and the big one was how often do you uh participate in Stack Overflow? And by participate it means like the uh voting of moderators, answering questions, uh asking questions. Mm-hmm. And you were at like sixty some odd percent uh that were like never to monthly. Yeah. And uh, going back to some of the other points that I talked about well, with the Coding Academy is we need to have people that are giving back to the community. And that's Mm -hmm. how we raise all of these developers to a new level. Yeah. And so many developers just don't give back to the community. And that's just hurting us overall. Uh, and especially I know senior devs that have never given back, like they don't even have a stack overflow account. They go there, they take the information and they give nothing back. And, and besides bringing up like, I think there's a moral and ethical issue with that as well, to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. It, it's, can you really be a senior developer if you're not giving anything back? That's yeah. Almost part of the job description is you have to be able to raise up the rest of the team. And if you can't do that, are you really a senior developer? Uh, you know, so th- that to me was I-, I kind of knew it, but this confirmed it for me as, oh, yeah, so few people actually give back. Yeah, it's like as a senior developer, you can write better code, write more code, write like push out stuff quickly. But if you're not training and mentoring and adding value in that way, um, you're really missing a huge, a, a huge, I guess, like there's, benefit. There's a huge section of value that you yes. are not providing to the exactly. Um, and as a person with, if if you have that senior title, I'm supposed to mean you're a person with that knowledge. You. You really should be sharing it. I mean, that's that's kind of my perspective. Um, and it kind of brings me to a point where something I've been thinking a lot about lately is that um, it, it bothers me when seniority status is tied to years of experience because really seniority should be tied to the amount of value you provide to the team from my perspective and also um i actually think very differently well Well, it it should absolutely be seniority is tied to years of experience because that we call our seniors seniors when they hit the age of 65 you're a senior now and you've done nothing to quantify or qualify that because the title of senior is absolutely arbitrary and useless. The problem is that the title of senior developer generally means you're getting paid more. No. Yeah. Now, if you're going to say the title shouldn't be tied to some sort of pay range, 100% agree with that. that. That's what, yeah, that's what I'm getting at because, um, Typically, that's kind of what you see online is junior developers going to get paid less. Mid-level is going to get paid medium. Senior is going to get paid more. But but if if that title is based on years of experience, um, then, then I think it's wrong because I think that 
salary should be based on the value you're providing to the team. Um, so that's that's to me where it gets a little bit frustrating. But um, yeah, See, I, I'm, I'm just saying, let's take care of the problem at its root. Let's just not have those titles. You are yeah. a software developer. You are a software engineer. You're whatever. Yeah. And then you get to negotiate how much you're paid and you get to build your case for this is how I'm providing value to the for team. For sure. I'm I'm for that. So, yeah, that, I think we kind of agree on the same. We I'm just do. like, we do get rid of seniority titles. Yeah, I, I think that that would be the best solution for it. Um, anyway, the the other uh, the other community stat is whether or not the people who took the survey are members of another online community besides Stack Overflow. Um, so 40 percent said yes. Uh Derek thought it was kind of low. I mean, I agree. And I, we're, we're talking about um, the whole idea that if you're a senior developer and you're not participating in um, in online developer forums or um, if you're not listening to Namespace podcast or something like that, <laughs> then... Yeah. Um, so for me, this was interesting because part of the Academy is to build a community around it. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, yeah. It, we, we've touched on it that Python gave people the title of Pythonista, gave them an identity within uh, the the space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, it's when you graduate the academy, I want you to have an identity of this is the, the kind of developer I am. You know, I've mastered the craft uh, of sorts. And really is just people not feeling like they were a part of some other community. Uh, if you don't feel like you're a part of a community, you feel like you're part of just yourself. Uh, and we're, we're stronger together, which then reinforces the whole, we need to be giving back yes. to the community. The more we know. Um, and, and for me, that's why that one was interesting to me is Oh, over half, 58% of people don't feel like they're part of an online community outside of Stack Overflow. And Stack Overflow is great. Uh, I use it all the time and I, I contribute back to Stack Overflow. Um, but over half of the developers not having someplace other than that for language or technology specific, uh, I think is a bad thing. Yeah. That's where the best practices are going to be refined and the knowledge is going to be shared and overall it's going to take that language or that technology from where it's at to the next level. Yeah. I guess um so you're writing dev2 articles. So you're definitely a member of that online community. Yes. Just cuz I read the articles, I guess that kind of makes me a member. I don't know. What do you think? Do you feel like you're a member of that? That's a good question. Community? Um I really don't participate too much in it. I overlook it, but I think that I'm like that with a lot of my life. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Um, I, I guess for me... I do, uh, I do want to uh, participate more. Yeah, I want to be in community with people. I'm a very social person. Yeah. Uh, I did comment on your article. I don't know if you saw. Um, it's okay. It was like the, the couple uh, days ago. It was literally... Just oh, no, yeah, you did. You did. Because somebody yeah. left a comment that confused me. And yeah. they never responded and you tried to clear it up for them, which is so sweet of you. <laughs> Thank you. But I still don't understand what they're asking. But anyhow, yeah, a, a comment like that of, 
hey, somebody was confused and I'm going to try to offer explanation. Like you're still giving back. That's Maybe you true. didn't help, but you were still <laughs> trying to give back. Yeah. And, you know, you shouldn't. Uh, what's it? What, how am I trying to say that? We shouldn't discredit you for not being successful at what you tried. Like you tried. We, we shouldn't disqualify people from being developers because they tried and failed. Like you we don't think want I just failed? The, no, no. <laughs> I'm just bringing up the point that... It's just funny. You, you should be trying. Yes, you utterly failed, Jordan. I failed How does that make you feel? At my online comment on your article. Uh, <laughs> but besides the point is yeah I mean Stack Overflow has the upvotes right. and downvotes for a reason not everybody's going to give the perfect right answer it's about feedback and yeah. um, learning like that's why you can comment mm -hmm. on comments mm -hmm. like it's it's the community aspect and I, I think downvoting on Stack Overflow is not participating in the community I think really? that's, yeah that's just hating and tearing down the community if you downvote and you do not provide some sort of input as to why you are downvoting, oh, you you're not trying to make it better. You were just trying to destroy it. I mean, downvote so with um, a comment. But I think downvotes are good because um, the person who asked the question, if they get an answer that's wrong... You don't want the person who asked the question to think it's the right answer. Yeah, but um, you want to teach the person who gave the wrong, wrong answer why it's wrong. I, so they I don't agree. go out and perpetuate a falsehood. I agree on that. And this is like kind of a goofy one-off thing. But I feel like people are always really don't want to disapprove a pull request. Oh, yeah. 100%. Nobody ever wants to do that. And it's in that same category of people being nice and not wanting to be rude, but also it's like. No, we we learn far more from failure than we do from success. Uh, I mean, it's, I don't think that people should take things so personally. I mean, it's like yeah. if, if you don't, if that code can't be merged for some reason. Um, I think there's a difference between not approving it. Because there's there, there's improvements that you can see that could be made, but you know, if whatever. But if something is like wrong and it's gonna break and you notice it, I, I'm I'm just curious. I thought it might be nice to normalize disapproving it because I always feel like really I I never do it, and I'm not saying that we should, but it's kind of that same scenario where it's like don't take your code so personally. Like be welcome to feedback. Yeah. And the the bigger issue though is when you as a developer has seen something happen and you're like, this is bad. Don't do it. But it's passing tests. It's not going to break the code. It's going to work. But two years down the road, it's going to be a nightmare to undo. And I had this situation where it's like, guys, I've seen it. I've seen that exact pattern. Don't do it. It's bad. It took a team of 10 engineers, 16 weeks to undo that. Don't do it. And they're like, okay, we're going to do it because it's working. And I'm like, okay, go. And I tried to stop that pull request and I was overridden. Yeah, I mean. So that, that's where you're going to have the issue. But if something legit is going to break, like, no, you can't do that. That switches a post request to a get request and that's going to break the API. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's going to complain about that. Yeah. And it's like, um, I just think it's like a foolproof sort of way to make sure that something doesn't accidentally. I, I don't know. I Anyway, I think it's um, we kind of got off topic, <laughs> but we don't have any more um, stats. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's that's our reaction to it. 
Yeah, yeah. I, 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 Overall, I love great looking survey. at this Keep survey. It yeah, it's Keep really it fun. Um, so hopefully you guys enjoyed listening to us talk about it. Um, go look at the numbers for sure, but it's not going to be as fun as listening to this episode. And, <laughs> you know, part of this, the last one, we want a community around the Namespace podcast. Yeah. So tweet at us, namespace underscore pod. Email us namespace.pod at gmail.com. Insta is namespace underscore pod. Yeah. Facebook is namespace underscore pod. Like we're everywhere. Yeah. Well, Facebook just search namespace podcast. I don't remember what the. Okay. Anyway. But regardless, like, did we miss something in our review? Is yeah. there something that you noticed or wanted us to expand upon uh, that it's part of why we're doing this. We want to build a community of, we don't know everything. Yeah. We're just trying to be the best devs that we can be. And we want you to come along on that journey with us. Yeah. Um, it would be a disservice to us if you disagreed with something, you thought we explained something wrong and then didn't tell us. No, it's a disservice to the whole, to the whole development community. Yeah. So you, like, you can disservice us all you want. <laughs> <laughs> that's true well but yeah definitely because um we would like to revisit episodes if we get enough feedback that we explained something poorly or um that we missed a point that would have really been helpful to discuss so so yeah please be a part of the community um we'd love to interact with you guys more did you say the email i did namespace.pod at gmail okay i was like zoning out this is a late I night episode you. for all of y'all who are curious we Why? never record this late ever uh ever but yeah so uh I, yeah i think we're done thank you guys so much for listening yeah. um tune yeah. in next time for consulting contracting and full-time work yes all right have a good one see, see ya, ya.